Well, welcome to this month's Ask Your Herb Doctor. My name's Andrew Murray. Uh, from 7 till 8 p.m., uh, this is a live show. Uh, we have callers calling in from 7.30 to 8 p.m. to ask questions about the topic that we're going to go through. Uh, this month's topic is going to be a roundup of the uh, point that we left off in March um, discussing progesterone and estrogen. Uh, and this month, I want to dissect that a little more uh, with some of the facts and some of the arguments against and in fact plain refuting of those quote-unquote facts about how positive estrogen was and how negative progesterone was uh, in a paper that was written uh, by a uh, Inga Sundström Promona at the University of Uppsala in Sweden apparently one of the leading experts on brain metabolism and sex hormones um, I mentioned in March that um, the PROTECT and synapse, which are acronyms, uh, protect and synapse trials of progesterone's anti-inflammatory effects used in the treatment of traumatic brain injury uh, were published and reviewed and apparently were relatively unsuccessful. Now, uh, a Dr. Stein, a 30-year, sorry, not 30-year-old, a 30-year PhD brain injury expert at Emory University was part of the team which published the paper in the Journal of Neurotrauma. Uh, and he outlined some very obvious mistakes in the studies and basically said that the criteria with which the uh, study was done did not produce valid results and he was strongly uh, opposed to the findings which showed there was no positive benefit for progesterone, uh, citing some very good facts and uh, evidence to the contrary. So in terms of the ongoing uh, the ongoing lies, if you like, about uh, how positive estrogen is for you and or how dangerous progesterone is for you. Um, we have had, for many years now, uh, Dr. Raymond Pete joining us uh, to discuss his findings and uh, cover a lot of evidence that he's uh, unearthed himself. And I'm very pleased to have him on the show. So I wanted just to quickly welcome Dr. Pete and then give people uh, a little more information about how to contact the studio uh, for call-ins from 7.30 on. So, Dr. Pete, are you with us? Yes, I'm here. Okay, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, for people that are in the area, there's a 707 number, which is 707-923-3911. And I wanted to quickly ask, I just noticed as I came into the studio, that the 800 numbers have been scratched out. Uh, is there a... I was just about to correct you in case you started saying <laughs> that. Yeah, apparently there's a problem with the 800 number, so... Okay. But anybody can call from anywhere. Yeah, there you go. All right. The country code is 01, I believe. Yeah, there you go, because we get people from... We have people from Finland, we've had people from Australia uh, and other places in the world. So, um, okay, yeah, 707-923-3911. Um, so I also uh, wanted just to point out that um, after business hour or during business hours rather nine to five monday through friday uh people can either call in uh and uh, either or write uh to me at uh, my address at andrew at western botanical medicine.com or call uh, if they have any questions or uh, if they want to uh, follow up any consultations uh, nutritional consultations uh, or related subjects around health and the things that we are purporting to be things that are very beneficial for you which you won't normally hear uh, in the mainstream and dr pete's been a big advocate of things like thyroid and sugar and progesterone uh, and 
the mainstream medicine and science would argue uh, that sugar is not good for you or that pregnenolone or pre progesterone, for example, uh, are not good for you when there's plenty of evidence uh, to show that there is. I think this is probably never so clear as in the trials uh, of HRT and uh, some of the withdrawing of those uh, HRT programs, uh, the hormone replacement therapy, quote-unquote, um, that women... Uh, with estrogen dominance, it's probably the last thing that they want is estrogen replacement, but yet the industry and doctors still uh, continue to say that the bone health benefits of estrogen um, are to be uh, advised and that uh, women with hot flashes and other mood disorders, that estrogen is a, uh, a lacking substance that they actually need and will help them. So during the uh, course of the next, I don't know, 30 minutes or so, I'm going to be discussing some of the um, arguments for progesterone and the arguments against estrogen. Uh, and Dr. Pete, with uh, his background, is probably never so qualified to speak on the subject, given that his PhD was in uh, reproductive hormones. So, Dr. Pete, um, would you just give an outline of your uh, professional and academic background so people that are listening can uh, hear where you've come from? Um, before I studied biology, I was a, a literature, linguistics, and art um, major and teacher, and um, I decided to study biology uh, initially uh, to uh, get more understanding of how language and intelligence and consciousness work, and uh, what I found was that, that uh, brain biology, cognitive science, so-called, was pure dogmatism, very little science in it, so I shifted over to reproductive physiology to um, basically study how the organism works all the way from the germ cell to the brain. And uh, the, the brain science really is not distinct from reproductive physiology. Uh, the brain is uh, really the, the motor for the whole uh, life process. Um, and uh, I, I did my dissertation uh, 1972 uh, on the um, oxidative changes uh, in the uterus in particular uh, as it, it changes w with aging. Okay, good. So I guess let's just jump straight into some of the questions that I had that uh, we got left off from March. Uh, and these are basic, uh, uh, basic inquiries into the mechanism uh, by which estrogen has its negative effects. Uh, and then we'll get into um, a, an article that was written um, by Inga Sundström, who's a professor at the University of Uppsala and an apparent leading expert on brain metabolism and sex hormones, who said some very strange things that I'd like you just to uh, hear and give your take on it. Um, catamenial uh, epilepsy uh, and the estrogens, like estrone, estriol and estradiol how do you understand the triggering of the epilepsy in in these certain susceptible females is it's estrogen related isn't it um, yeah in my research i looked through everything that had been done on physiology of especially as it relates to the brain and uterus uh, up until 1970 and i couldn't find any evidence uh, that would clearly distinguish the physiology of estrogen stimulation from X-ray stimulation 
or oxygen deprivation or vitamin E deficiency, which interferes with oxygen use. Um, all of those things uh, deplete the energy production of the cell, uh, which is uh, based on uh, oxi oxidation. Uh, and uh, when the brain is oversupplied with estrogen or laxative antagonists, especially progesterone, mm -hmm. the uh, whole system, but ev everything in the brain included, uh, wastes oxygen and uh, is unable to, to keep the energy level up to the point that the cells are stable. And uh, one of the strange things that has been uh, overlooked or, or seen upside down in both biology and medicine for most of the century is that a high energy state of a cell is the state in which it's ready to work and function, but it is not acting all the time. It's sitting there ready to work. And when it is forced to work more than it is ready for, the energy level falls and it gets into a state trying to uh, r restore the energy, but it, it uh, is in a constantly active state. If you uh, cause uh, hypoglycemia uh, by uh, interfering uh, with the, the liver, for example, uh, it, it works the same as a lack of oxygen, and estrogen happens to uh, interfere with the supply of of glucose to cells, it activates insulin, but it also activates the release of fatty acids uh, from the tissues, and the fatty acids block the ability to oxidize glucose. Uh, so estrogen does, it activates the cells by uh, increasing the, the uh, function of uh, glutamic acid, uh, a brain excitant, and uh, in uh, increasing glut glutamate, it decreases GABA, the inhibiting mm -hmm. uh, signal. Uh, GABA should be produced by the, by the uh, breakdown of glutamate acid. Uh, so estrogen is exciting the brain cells and at the same time interfering with their use of oxygen and glucose. Okay, so estrogen and the and the and the estrogens, estrogen, estradiol, estradiol, etc. These really mimic a kind of stress response. Then, um, yeah, I consider uh, estrogens function to be uh, the, the um, controlled stress. Uh, <laughs> the the whole organism uh, is uh, moving uh, through a developmental process, uh, and. Uh, it, it requires a constant supply of energy, and if that energy supply becomes fatally uh, impaired, uh, then the function of estrogen uh, in the reproductive system is to uh, erase the whole scheme that was uh, producing the, the organism's mm -hmm. development through its life process. Suddenly, the excess of estrogen as a, a stress signal, uh, erases the, the whole uh, program and uh, reverts to the single uh, multiplying cell. Uh, so 
uh, with, without uh, anything interfering, uh, estrogen tends to produce the cancer cell. Right. But um, yeah. it also activates the the uh, production of, of the egg and, and the, the readiness of the egg to start a new organism. Mm-hmm. So it, its proper function should be once a month for a few hours right. to to activate the, the uh, potential new life. Right. Um, uh, and that only starts at puberty. Uh, up until puberty, uh, the brain is ap- uh, metabolizing at a very high rate. And uh, the, the catamenial epilepsy tends to begin uh, around the age of nine when uh, estrogen is rising and progesterone hasn't risen yet. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the, um, the brain metabolism slows down at puberty, and uh, so uh, the body takes it as a, a threat to survival, and so it turns on the reproductive process. Huh, interesting. Uh, I just wanted to kind of recount that you said that, um, uh, and I think I've understood this in the correct way, that estrogen, the only real benefit for estrogen then is the inflammation it provides or promotes to stimulate implantation of a new site in the endometrium in, in terms of, uh, of successful pregnancy. Isn't that correct? And then outside of that, doesn't really have too much benefit. Um, yeah. Throughout the organism, uh, whenever the, the tissue is stressed, it tends to turn on locally the production of estrogen. Uh-huh. Uh, that's, that's how it so easily leads to cancer because right. uh, every tissue has the apparatus for for making estrogen right you said every cell in the body can secrete it essentially Uh, yeah and after menopause when the production of progesterone Mm -hmm. becomes very limited Mm -hmm. uh, there is a tendency for all of the body's tissues to begin making estrogen so it's just the opposite of what uh, the menopause doctors have been teaching Uh, when progesterone disappears the uh, the breast, the uterus, the brain, the liver, the skin, the fat, muscles even uh, begin producing estrogen, but it can't escape from the cell because it also increases the uh, estrogen binding protein, the estrogen so-called receptor. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the absence of progesterone, the intracellular estrogen uh, increases but it doesn't get into the blood. So you measure the blood, and it looks like you're estrogen deficient. Exactly, it doesn't get into the blood, huh? Yeah, exactly, when you're being systemically poisoned with intracellular estrogen. And and as you've mentioned before on previous shows, estrogen is very uh, responsible for uh, edema, uh, cell swelling, and that inefficiency that comes with that waterlogging Um, from an energy point of view. The individual cell swells up when it's being excited and de-energized when you can get the energy back up that squeezes the water out and that same swollen state uh, occurs in capillaries and blood vessels and even though they get thicker they become leaky Uh, water goes through them into the tissues and out of your bloodstream Uh, and that that's involved in the uh, circulatory problems of pregnancy Uh, the blood volume can't be maintained while the, the legs and feet tend to swell up mm-hmm. and the kidneys 
sense the lack of circulation because the blood volume has shrunk. And so the kidneys send out signals to raise the blood pressure to try to get more uh, circulation. Interesting. And then lastly, just wanted to uh, recap uh, what you said about that depolarized and repolarized state of the cell. So uh, you mentioned that when a cell is in a ready state to perform work, uh, that relaxed state is what is so important for that proper contraction, that proper action potential to occur to do work, and that in um, hypothyroidism, the cell remains in a constantly uh, stressed state where it's not able to relax, and it's that very lack of relaxation that causes the energy problems. Um, yeah, you can see exactly the same process in the heart muscle as in the brain and other cells, but it's very easy to study in the brain and in the muscle because the muscle is uh, such a concentrated uh, muscle system Uh, and um, estrogen weakens but makes more frequent the contraction and it's uh, a great excess of estrogen causes a a shock-like state of the heart rapid but very very weak uh, pulsation where progesterone uh, strengthens, it lets the cells build up energy so that when it, it does contract, it's a very powerful contraction and pumps very efficiently. Okay, good. Well, I, I never like to turn people away, and I know you do this because you like the interaction with people who asking questions uh, that you've no, uh, you, you've no uh, preparation for, if you like. You've not been prepared. So uh, there's a caller on the line who I think wants to ask a question. So let's take this caller. Uh, call away from, and what's your question? Yes, hi, my name is Shauna from Hesperia. Hey, Hannah, welcome to the show. What's your question? Yes, my question is regarding um, chronic fatigue syndrome. Mm -hmm. Um, Can Dr. Ray Pete elaborate on what this is and um, what is the underlying condition? Hypometabolism or or what? And then my second question is regarding low-dose naltrexone. Is it effective for CFS? Okay, I think um, there's a lot of breakup on the line, but I think that first question was related to chronic fatigue syndrome. What do you yes. see? Uh, your your ideas on chronic fatigue syndrome, how do you see it? And then yes. also naltrex, naltrexone, I think. Was, uh, low dose. Yeah, yes. low dose naltrexone, LDN. Okay, Dr. Pete, what do you think of chronic fatigue syndrome as a... One way of thinking of it is that it's very similar to in the brain, the the seizure state, or in the heart, the failure state under the influence of uh, a lack of progesterone and excess of estrogen, or simply uh, such a deficiency of energy that the cell uh, goes into that swollen, uh, overexcitable state. Uh, When a cell is in very bad condition, uh, as far as I no, every cell in the body can also uh, produce histamine as it's uh, getting very desperate. Not only in a chronic sort of uh, desperation, cells produce estrogen, but in a, a most acute situation, they produce histamine. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the hypothyroid, low progesterone, uh, chronic state, uh, the, the body tends to uh, locally produce a lot of histamine and other inflammatory things. Okay, and what do you think about naltrexone, uh, low-dose naltrexone? Uh, does that have any 
merit? Um, in my experience, uh, using uh, naloxone more than naltrexone, but they're essentially identical. One is a little more oil-soluble. Um, I found that from one to four milligrams uh, per day of uh, naloxone would uh, break a depressed condition uh, by uh, uh, suppressing the uh, endorphins, which are induced by uh, lactic acid and, and fatigue. The endorphins are uh, another emergency measure uh, to turn off the, uh, the excitation, but it, uh, it, it, with a very small dose, some people use even a hundredth of a milligram and uh, find a very therapeutic effect. So I consider four milligrams a day a fairly big, yeah. uh, larger, larger than necessary dose. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Uh, so let me just quickly ask, I think we have another caller on. Yeah. Okay, well, let's take this next call and see where, see where we're going. Caller, you're on the end. What's your question? Where yes, are you from? Uh, hi. Uh, I had a question about the B-complex vitamins. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been listening for a while, so I understand um, a B1, B2, and B3 and why they're beneficial. Um, I wanted to go backwards. So B9 is, I guess, folic acid, and B7 is biotin. And I think in some of the stuff I've read about what people seem to be interpreting regarding your your research or, or point of view is that um, 1, 2, and 3 are important, and 6 in a smaller amount, but B5... Anathenic acid, um, B, um, B4, adenosine, and folic acid, and B12 are probably not to be taken. And so I, I'm probably not giving the full story, so I just wanted to say that's sort of the question. Are these the bad guys, and if so, why? Because when someone gives a B-complex vitamin, they actually have specific ratios of all these in many cases, and I'm just wondering... Are they properly named B vitamins, and or should they be taken and thought of separately as opposed to particular ratios um, between each one of them to have the proper effect systemically? Well, Dr. P, I know I know you're an advocate of liver for that reason, but uh, how would you how how would you define the B vitamins in terms of necessity and, and the sources of? Um, their main metabolic similarity is that they are regulators and facilitators of cell uh, oxidative energy processes. Uh, Panathenic acid is somewhat off the main uh, group, but um, it's uh, very essential. Uh, It it, um, is anti-stress, helps with uh, regulating blood sugar and and allergies. So uh, sometimes... 500, 400 to 500 milligram dose of pentathenic acid uh, can uh, relieve stress symptoms, and it's unusual in that it doesn't uh, affect the interactions of the others. It's sort of on a sideline where uh, it can be taken. In monkeys, they, they fed them a cup a day of pure pentathenic acid with no side effects. If you did that with uh, any of the other B vitamins, uh, you would quickly reach a, a toxic uh, effect. Uh, okay, so panathenic, sorry to interrupt, so panathenic acid uh, can be taken daily? Because all these are water-soluble, but this can be taken daily up to 400 milligrams, and you will 
see some benefit of, of, of cellular oxidative energy. Uh, particularly, I'm thinking more about digestion, too, because some of these, like I've taken B1 and B2 recently, and I really believe it's helped my ability to digest things. I'm, I'm uh, um, a young man of around 60, so, so um, I'm just wondering, you know, how to take these, how much to take, and how often, um, as opposed to, you know, what's being out there in the research, because it seems to not be accurate relative to what you're saying. Um, yeah, the, the orthomolecular movement uh, 40 years ago, uh, I think, encouraged a lot of overdose excess use of them. Uh, you can get extremely therapeutic results sometimes with five or ten times the minimum daily requirement, uh, like... Uh, 10 or 20 milligrams of B1, uh, 10 milligrams of B2, uh, uh, 10 milligrams of B6, and so on. Um, but uh, they sometimes uh, larger doses are effective, but um, I think it's good to try the smallest dose, maybe five times the minimum daily requirement. Okay, so it's okay to take that daily. So for the ones you mentioned, about 10 to 20 milligrams in a day is okay. And I guess a B3 is a little, like, different in the sense you could take, you know, four to 500 of that one too, right? It's not just B5, but B3 also, am I right? Um, niacin? Or is yeah, niacinamide, niacinamide. Yeah, the, 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 it's important to get the amide form. Uh, yeah. The, the, um, the other releases inflammatory mediators and... The right. niacin amide is safe up to at least a couple hundred milligrams, but I, I think I've, I've seen people with brain terminal brain diseases cure themselves taking just 150 or 200 of niacin amide per day. Okay, so and, and B7 is biotin. I I hear people say that that will reduce your um, your blood your glucose levels but then i read and i say well gee maybe that's not true maybe it actually regulates them dynamically so what about biotin is there any negatives to taking um you know uh uh biotin in, in like a five to ten thousand i think it's micro micrograms not yeah, not milligrams i've seen the good results from very very big doses of biotin but uh, 50 years ago some animal studies showed that a, a moderate overdose could cause liver cancer. So I've always been leery about it, but I, I've never seen people repeating those experiments. Well, what's a, what's a dose? I mean, what, so is 5,000 an excessive dose, micrograms, or are you talking I, about something like... I, I would small? stick to uh, around one milligram of biotin. Okay, one milligram. Okay, gotcha, per day. Okay, and then um, folic acid, you're kind of... I mean, I've read that you somehow think that's, like, somehow dangerous to take at all. Is that, I could be wrong, too, but that's what I've read. I think it's safe at a dose of, of around one milligram, maybe as high as five milligrams per day. But you have to be cautious with especially uh, vitamin B2 and folic acid uh, because something in the synthetic process makes a lot of people get migraine headaches and uh, hemorrhoids and other very intense symptoms from those which happen to be yellow uh, molecules. And uh, I think it's something about their sensitivity to 
the light and oxidation that makes the, the pure chemical uh, pretty allergenic for a lot of people. So, oh, so could it give you a rash, too, or something like that, or just a headache? Uh, uh, I didn't hear that. Uh, could it give you a rash, or, or just oh, a headache? Oh, uh, the, the, the worst symptoms I've uh, heard about are migraine-like headaches and, and bowel mm-hmm. problems, but that could, uh, the bowel inflammation can lead to rashes. Okay, and okay, that makes sense. And then B12, um, I really almost see almost no writing on that. Or just curious, because a lot of people say you got to have your B12 up, and I know that gets to methylation. But mm-hmm. is there is there an amount, or, or is it the amount that you consume in your basic diet should be more than enough? Um, yeah, if you eat animal products in particular, and the intestine uh, bacteria can make a lot of it. Uh, I hear from a lot of people with uh, small intestine inflammation who have about 50% higher than the upper normal range for B12, apparently because their their bacteria are thriving where they shouldn't be. All right, I appreciate appreciate your questions, uh, Caller, and uh, I've got to get on with the questions that I've got for Dr. Pete uh, surrounding last month's or March's radio show so we can get into some fresh topic. Uh, Dr. Pete, I wanted to go over the article uh, just briefly that was written by this uh, professor at the University of Uppsala in Sweden who is an expert on brain metabolism and sex hormones just to illustrate to people how wrong things can get from the quote-unquote academic professionals and just to see how this was twisted uh, in terms of what I'm about to speak verbatim from the article and I just want to stop you at different points during this just to hear your side of it so that you can point people in the right direction Uh, because people are going to read these things on ResearchGate or PubMed or other places and just take it as the truth because it's written by a a university professor who specializes in this kind of thing but just want to um, bring the truth home again wherever possible. So uh, an article was written uh, about pregnalone uh, and saying and progesterone and saying that the, basically the negative associations with it were fairly rife and so just going through uh, what uh, she had written uh, she talked about um, PMS uh, and saying that uh, for some people it was unpredictable and for many it was hard to explain but feelings of worry associated with the menstrual cycle had very specific cause and that this was the same hormone used in much birth control and that uh, 85% of women experience premenstrual stress or PMS in the days leading up to the period and that according to the American Congress of Obstetricians and Gynecologists as well um, that this condition comes with physical symptoms like painful joints or breasts, headaches, uh, sleeplessness etc and I'm sure most women can identify with these symptoms um, and she says it's pretty much down to one hormone progesterone uh, and she's the leading expert on brain metabolism and sex hormone so she goes on to mention that progesterone appears after ovulation uh, one of the two main female hormones the other being estrogen and it's present in the first two weeks of the cycle and has a broadly positive effect on mood. So this is estrogen. Uh, estrogen increases the brain serotonin, uh, the hormone most associated with happiness. Progesterone, on the other hand, can have a depressing effect. So, Dr. P, what do you think about maintaining this, this sentence, even just regarding serotonin's positive effects? Um, to be polite, I, I think it's very, very silly. Uh, the... Um, the Everything there is confused and 
backwards. Right. Uh, uh, for example, the serotonin thing, uh, the happiness signal. Uh, uh, serotonin is uh, very essential for the inflammation, uh, uh, osteoporosis, uh, cancer, blood clotting, uh, spasms, uh, all sorts of, of bad uh, effects. Inflammatory processes, from, right? From an excess. Uh, what was that? Is it there, the inflammatory processes are dictated yeah, yeah, by yeah. serotonin. Yeah, it, it's uh, right there with with histamine oh. as the, the most intense, acute, local inflammatory signal. And uh, in the brain, that inflammatory process of serotonin turns on the, the whole stress system uh, that, that uh, activates ACTH and cortisol. Uh, estrogen not only activates that serotonin-dependent pathway, but it directly activates the adrenal glands to uh, produce uh, cortisol. Uh, so estrogen is, is a basic stress hormone. Serotonin is kind of a terminal uh, mediator of, of that stress process, turning on the defensive uh, anti-stress uh, cortisol production. But um, in itself, uh, serotonin is a very powerful bone, bone destroyer by its inflammatory process. It's basically an alarm signal, no? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, she, without, without, I guess, laboring that point, uh, she mentions, uh, as well as creating anxiety, another side effect of progesterone could be to cause the blues. According to research by Torbjorn Bakstrom from the University of Umea in Sweden, it seems to have the same effect on the brain as depressive drugs like alcohol and sleeping pills. So where does she get that from, that um, progesterone has this depressant effect? That's uh, a, a very interesting uh, confusion of, of the <laughs> meaning of depression. Uh, in the heart, for example, uh, progesterone uh, depresses the spastic activity that leads to uh, uh, cardiac arrest and uh, it, it uh, depresses the premature contractions and uh, facilitates a good yeah. uh, rhythm. Mm -hmm. Estrogen uh, has the opposite effect, tends to produce arrhythmia right. by uh, delaying the ability to regain its energy charge and get ready for the next, next beat. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right, so... She also goes on to say, most substances in the body, including hormones, get broken down into other substances known as metabolites before eventually being removed by the kidney or the liver. When progesterone is broken down, its metabolites become active in the brain. And it appears they, and one in particular, allopregnanolone, that we mentioned last month, uh, sorry, in March, uh, allopregnanolone and pregnanolone, which both incidentally uh, can be... Um, produced in the CNS, both in the oligodendrocytes uh, and astrocytes. So it's not, uh, you know, you don't have to consume this product. It's actually de novo synthesis from cholesterol. Um, she says these, in particular, allopregnolone binds to a system called the GABA-A receptor. Now, uh, we've, uh, we've mentioned, and I've talked about the GABA-A receptor in relation to uh, things that bind to the GABA-A receptor to produce relaxation like valerian because it is uh, the opposite to the excitotoxic uh, system. <clears throat> but she says that um, 
The GABA-A receptor is a little like the brain's police force. It regulates making sure there isn't too much excitement going on, uh, which seems seems okay on the face of it. Uh, drugs that bind to it may cause it to step up policing, and Backstrom's research suggests that metabolites of progesterone may be doing the same thing. So, uh, if female hormones have such distinct effects, the next step is to wonder why the female body is designed in this way, and she suggests that it's more a result of evolutionary design meeting modern living. Um, progesterone's effects, she goes on to say, may be particularly pronounced now because women are having far more periods and far fewer children than in the thousands of malnourished years before birth control, like birth control as a popular, uh, popularly uh, appreciated product. Anyway, 300 years ago, women started menstruating around 17 or 18 because they were less healthy than today. So I'm not too sure what you've got to say about being less healthy and having a later menarche, which you've actually said and is well shown that it's actually a positive thing. Uh, to actually have your uh, your period start early is actually related to high estrogen. It's actually very detrimental to your long-term health, isn't it? Uh, yeah, the, the age at, at menarche is getting uh, lower and lower all the time uh, over the last several decades, and that is now known to uh, correspond to um, uh, all of the, the, the estrogen problems later in life. Uh, one of the recent uh, groups of studies uh, related to the early uh, puberty and the pr- tendency to have autistic babies. The, the uh, uterus uh, during gestation it, it has a higher estrogen level in the women who started at a very young age. Okay. She goes on to say that most women got pregnant almost immediately, you know, several hundred years ago, uh, without birth control. Uh, and remained pregnant or breastfeeding for most of their reproductive lives, which ended around 40. Now, this this would have ex- uh, subjected them to a fairly sustained level of progesterone, correct, through being pregnant. Um, uh, yeah, the, the um, she, she seems to get it just exactly wrong <laughs> with pregnancy as a, a time of low progesterone, but the. the um, the normal cycling woman produces uh, maybe 30 milligrams a day mm-hmm. during the luteal phase uh, before menstruation. And uh, the ovaries weighing six or seven grams maybe uh, are working uh, pretty efficiently when they can produce 30 milligrams a day. But the, the placenta in the term pregnancy weighs uh, about a pound and a half. Uh, uh, roughly a hundred times bigger than the ovaries, uh, and uh, it can produce uh, uh, at least uh, 30 times as much progesterone per day. Yeah. And th- there's a, an interesting discussion of the effect of pregnancy on aging and uh, general health uh, in a book by A.V. Uh, a. Everett and others, uh, called hypothalamus pituitary and aging, in which he uh, describes experiments uh, mating rabbits uh, constantly as soon as they have a lib- litter, uh, mate them again so that they live their whole lives producing a maximum number of litters. And others that were not mated, uh, the, uh, the multi uh, litter 
rabbits were had much more flexible young connective tissue. Uh, their tissues were uh, less aged at the end of their lives than the uh, non-mated. And uh, they mentioned studies done in Hungary looking at the lifespan of women in relation to uh, the number of babies they had produced. And uh, graphing it from zero babies to eight babies, the maximum that they calculated, uh, they showed a straight line of life expectancy increasing with each uh, baby that was born. Uh, And in the rabbits, they showed that it was this very high, constant, almost constant exposure to progesterone that was protecting uh, or reversing the estrogen-induced age changes in the connective tissue that um, made them live longer and uh, be healthier. Okay, good. Well, let's uh, let's see, put the word out there for people that may have questions. I know several people have called in and haven't got on so far. So uh, the area code is 707-923-3911, and the lights are flashing. So uh, in a few moments here, we'll take this next call to find out where they're from and what the question is. Hi, caller. You're on the air. Uh, what's your question and where are you from? You're Ask on the- him again. He was That was quick. Okay, you're on the air, caller. So uh, where are you from and what's your question? Uh, Mike, and from Connecticut. Okay, Mike, what's your question? Yes, I have a quick question for Dr. Ray Peters. Wondering if you have a chance to review the recent study that came out of Northwestern University about the correlation with uh, taking aspirin daily and uh, the risk of melanoma. Looks like there's a double the, the risk in men. Dr. Peters. Yeah, I, I, I saw that, and uh, I don't know um, what happened um, with, with all of the other cancers uh, that have been uh, studied, uh, aspirin prevents them. Yeah, I find it strange as well. It looks like it was a surprising result versus all the other cancers. You'll probably find the same thing with the uh, synapse uh, studies and the protect studies on progesterone that didn't turn up with positive information. You'll probably find the same thing, either the methodology uh, or... Yeah, some of the methodology is probably going to be uh, in question. Sure. Okay, okay and, and just one more question. What are his thoughts about uh, hydrogen, molecular hydrogen water and the benefits? It looks like there's a few studies coming from Japan. It looks like there's some positive uh, uh, benefits. Yeah, everything I've seen uh, looks like it's uh, maybe uh, simply reducing the uh, uh, free radical uh, oxidative damage uh, substances like lipid peroxides. Uh, it, it lowers inflammation in all the experiments I've seen. Okay, if that's your question. Let's, uh, we've got two or three more people are on the line waiting. So let's take this next caller. Uh, caller, what's your question? Where are you from? Uh, yeah, from Long Island. Um, my question relates to CO2. Uh, carbon dioxide therapy. You'd mentioned bag breathing, and um, I've also heard about dry CO2 baths. And I was just wondering if CO2 is uh, heavier than air, mm-hmm. can you just put it in a bathtub? Sure. And, and how would you measure it? Because if you move around, it seems like there'd be quite a bit of disturbance. Yeah. Um, if you get in 
slowly and get out slowly. It's so heavy that um, you, you don't slosh much of it out. But um, you can check with a, with a, a match or a lighter to find the level. Uh, uh, the, the match goes out as soon as you sink it into the pure CO2. Oh, I see. And you don't even long, have to take your clothes off to have a bath. Stay right? in there for benefit. And how could, could you do this? Is like once a week or something? You know, like your recommendation on liver, for example. Um, uh, a 1908 uh, article described it uh, uh, weekly. Uh, bath in CO2 as being equivalent to a vacation at the ocean. For, for how long? Like at one time? If, to have effect? Like, oh, it gets boring after an hour, but uh, you can get a big bag or tub, and a plastic tub uh, works fine. doesn't have any leaks in it like a bathtub does. And, and you can just sit in it and read or, or watch TV or whatever. Okay. Does that lower your temperature? Because I, I know... It, it, it has a warm sensation when it touches your skin, uh, but that's because it's opening up uh, blood vessels, getting more blood to your skin. So you could uh, chill yourself, I think, if you uh, did it in a, a cold place because it would uh, make you lose heat faster through your skin. Does it matter whether it's like food grade or...? or? D- I, I, I use it from a welding shop. I appreciate your call, caller. We do have three more people, uh, so I just want to make sure they all get a chance. So let's line up the next caller. Caller, where are you from and what's your question? Hello, caller, where are you from and what's your question? What can you tell me about MitoQ? M-I-T-O-Q? Oh, I think that's a a new variant of of CoQ10, uh, and um, I don't know whether it's any better. I've never used it or studied it much. Okay, thank you. Yeah, Dr. Pete, very quickly on CoQ10 and mitochondrial activity, you, you think there is a relative merit there for using CoQ10? Um, uh, yeah, I think so. In in many cases, uh, a person is uh, not producing enough of it, and yeah. it happens that vitamin K uh, works with mm-hmm. CoQ10 and uh, uh, makes it... Uh, uh, more effective and stable. Yeah. Uh, incidentally, uh, in terms of dosage for K2, I noted that um, one of the kind of more leading uh, producers of K2, uh, Thorn Research, um, they produce a liquid vitamin K2 that I know uh, has been recommended to people, uh, especially if they're using aspirin as a therapy, and they use a one milligram per drop product. Now, I've just noticed that Thorn have rebranded their packaging, uh, and actually on their supplement fact label, it says one serving size is now 10 drops. Um, and so, therefore, 10 milligrams is a serving size. What do you think about um, K2's use uh, with or without aspirin in that instance, if you're mentioning its uh, affinity with CoQ10? Uh, the Japanese have experimented with it at higher levels, up to 40 or 45 milligrams mm-hmm. per day. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've uh, known several people who had extremely high, persistently high blood pressure, like uh, 240 over 140, I think, was one person's uh, regular pressure for a year uh, because his blood vessels were very calcified. And he took 40 or 50 milligrams per day of thorn vitamin K. 
and in uh, after a week the the uh, pressure was much lower and after two weeks it was essentially normal 140 over 70 okay we've got uh, two more questions at least sorry two more callers at least so one was what's the dosage for progesterone for a person who's thinking about trying it yeah that's probably a very variable question a very var- variable answer in terms of the use it's being used for but uh, what do you think dr p as a general uh, for a female now presumably um, what a progesterone dose would be um, if you're taking it orally in an oil dissolved form uh, 20 or 30 milligrams is a very effective dose. I've used as much as 100 milligrams myself uh, for a headache. Uh, It took about two minutes to knock out a migraine. There you go. Now, you've mentioned, uh, again, I won't go back uh, to the article because we've got callers, but the quote-unquote depressing uh, effect of progesterone is it's mildly sedative and that's not a depressing effect but i guess in an energy uh, term it is but it has a sedative effect isn't it uh, yeah it's a powerful sedative if, if you take enough yeah uh, 100 milligrams uh, after it knocked out the migraine it put me to sleep <laughs> for a couple hours okay let's take these next callers okay so caller uh, you're on the air where are you from and what's your question Hi, my name is Peter. I'm from San Francisco. Hey, Peter. What's your uh, I had a question. I had a question regarding uh, the uh, concept of earthing. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that promote going to the beach, going to nature, and taking off your shoes and walking around. And uh, I felt benefit from going to the beach and taking my shoes off and walking around like that and coming in contact with the actual earth. Um, what, what does Dr. Pete think is the mechanism behind that, if there is any? Hey, Dr. Pete. Um, negative ionized air is uh, uh, more abundant uh, near the ocean or, or waterfalls. Uh, I think that's part of the good feeling you get at the beach. Another thing is the, the skin stimulation of, of freeing your, your shoes from being mm-hmm. imprisoned in shoes and socks. Uh, that's a very powerful uh, stimulus. Uh, but uh, supposedly the... the uh, the body does uh, the immune system for example reacts to uh, the electrically charged things in the environment uh, for example they they put nylon on some animals that uh, supposedly was uh, interfering with the, the normal skin uh, ionization and found that their immune systems were uh, suppressed uh, and uh, the, the earth is always a, a source of electrons, actually, uh, r- relative to the the higher atmosphere. Uh, you, you get a gradient uh, with a positive at high altitude and and the negative pull at the Earth. Well, okay, thank thanks. You. Thanks for your question, caller. There's actually a couple more. I'm going to hold for one second. We've still got two more callers on the line, so I hope to get to three. Actually, three now. The lights going again. I just wanted to let you know that the um, article. That was also written, that uh, Inga quoted in that uh, paper on supposedly uh, progesterone's negative effects. The American Congress of Obstetricians and Gynecologists quoted this during uh, some part of her paper that she'd written in. Diet and vitamin supplements may help ease PMS. The ACOG, the American Congress on Obstetrics and Gynecologists, uh, suggests keeping blood sugar levels up 
with smaller, more frequent meals. Now, there's good advice for you. Okay, next caller. Uh, so, I, I wanted to comment. One very well, bad thing about her paper was that she was uh, talking about the amygdala activation. Yeah, I know, as, that, I know as, there's so many other questions I wanted to ask about it, but carry on. Um, she was presenting it as a negative fear thing, but the amygdala regulates affection, love, right. anxiety, and fear. Uh-huh. It isn't just one-sided. Yeah. Okay, good. Let me quickly mention to people so they can get online themselves and look at this paper, then if they want to re- rewind this radio show or uh, download it from the archives. Uh, her name is Inger, I-N-G-E-R, Sundstrom, S-U-N-D-S-T-R-O-M, Poroma, P-O-R-O-M-A-A, University of Uppsala in Sweden and you know what when you type in her name you do that search you'll get directed to ResearchGate and you've got to scroll through the papers that she's written but you won't find this one there what you've got to do in the search when you look for it uh, you'll find that it's related to PMS uh, and basically uh, you know a, a treatment for PMS and, uh, and and those situations where estrogen typically is the cause of it and progesterone is the alleviator but uh, when you click on that link you'll find her paper and then you'll find what i've mentioned here word for word of what she's quoted and then dr pete here's refuted it all right so two more callers on the line let's take this first this next one hello and, yeah where are you from and what's your question i'm i'm naomi from willis hey naomi. and uh, you've talked about migraine and things that can make them can give you a migraine and things that can um take it away but I missed the, the first one. I think you said biotin and folic acid was a tricky combination that could cause migraine. Uh, no, and then uh, you said something that um, I just missed why you said actually alleviated it. Sure. Okay. Oh, uh, riboflavin and uh, folic acid are the ones that uh, are most irritating. And uh, getting the intestine uh, free of any of those irritants uh, is, is very important. Uh, a fibrous food such as raw carrot or cooked mushrooms helps to clean out the inflammatory substances from the intestine. But sugar, so, sugar helps to stop the production of histamine and serotonin. Okay, um, and you said some. Uh, I mean, I have a a B fifty complex with C, and it's. Um, got all those things, and I do suffer migraines. I don't know if I should be taking um, riboflavin and folic acid. Um, if I took one, I would have a migraine for about three days, I think. But I don't. Uh, that's good. Uh, they're, they're probably <laughs> um, protective. Could you say again what you felt what alleviated migraine? Um, progesterone, sugar, uh, and uh, things that stimulate your intestines such as raw carrots and cooked mushrooms to remove bowel waste like estrogen and endotoxin progesterone and sugar yeah sugar helps to stop the production of, of histamine and, and serotonin okay okay thank you very much thank you uh, well, well ma- maybe fascinating show yeah good uh, I don't want to I don't want to prejudge it but maybe that last caller didn't really 
listened to any of the other previous shows where she would recognize that sugar is actually very beneficial for you as well just like progesterone pregnenolone are beneficial and that's the cause and the reason that we do these shows is just to help people understand that what they hear on the radio or read in the papers is not always the way it is and it's driven by fairly powerful interests and lobbies okay we have one more caller so let's make this real quick uh just two minutes caller and then i've got to have to terminate you real quick one question you mentioned coq10 what about pqq is that also helpful to manufacture and replace damaged mitochondria in conjunction with COQ10? Uh, what was the name of it? P- PQQ. PQQ. I can't, yeah, PQQ. that's the acronym. PQQ, pure quinolone, I believe. I've heard about that, but never studied it. Okay, so the, then the other question is before adenine was mentioned, that you didn't, we didn't, that's something that's not really mentioned as a B vitamin, and I was just wondering, is that really just an omission for, and it should, is something that could be taken beneficially externally, like the other ones that someone went through earlier? Uh, did you say adenosine? Or, yeah, or I think it's adenine. Vitamin B4 is what I've heard it referred to as. Uh, uh, how did you pronounce it? Uh, I guess, I, well, I, I thought it was adenine, but maybe it's yeah. adenosine. Yeah, I think so. Oh, oh yeah, um, adenosine is sort of risky. Uh, it's the opposite of caffeine in some ways, uh, and it can bring on uh, symptoms that caffeine can alleviate. Uh, so it's, I, I wouldn't uh, risk using adenosine. It can cause an asthma attack, for example. Okay, thank you. Okay, thanks for your calls, caller. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, Dr. Pete. I really appreciate your time giving it, as always. Okay, thank you. Okay, so for those people who've listened to this evening's show and or who maybe called in, I think there were still other callers that never got through, but um, Dr. Pete can be found online at www.raypete.com. Um, he's got a pretty big, comprehensive uh, library of articles that are fully referenced. Um, you've heard him speak. Um, I've worked uh, with him for a long time and have seen a lot a lot of people uh, get beneficial uh, results from his methodologies where other alternatives uh, have not really produced as much as I would have hoped. So I'm ever, forever grateful to his, uh, his, his teaching and his wisdom. Um, okay, so for those people uh, who never listened, go check out his website. Uh, we can all, I can always be reached at uh, www.westernbotanicalmedicine.com. Uh, all of the shows are uploaded there. Uh, they're free to download. They're on the resources tab under Ask Your Herb Doctor. Uh, and for the growing YouTube population and the Internet population that has exploded, uh, his, uh, his, his words, his teachings, his advice is all over the Internet. And there's different repeat forums and clubs, etc., which spin off uh, different parts of what he has uh, advised. Anyway, um, Go educate yourself, you know. You don't believe everything that you hear. Even me, go read it. Go look at it. Uh, find out for yourself, you know. Just do the work. And uh, thanks so much for joining us. <laughs>